Let's talk about this real quick. So, I had originally recorded this episode along with several uh, Patreon bonus content pieces uh, last week prior to the holidays to get this out there. It is now since past the holidays at the time of recording this. I'm not sure when or if this will ever get uploaded or where it will. I'm kind of leaning towards maybe just posting it up onto the Patreon, but at the same time, I kind of want to get a few extra episodes up onto the main, like, you know, feed uh, for December. And, uh, yeah, so that's how we got here today. Um, the audio was pretty bad, and then when I went to go and edit the files, the were all corrupted. So, yay. The, the joys of audio recording and uh, podcast editing. But this time, the audio should sound a lot better compared to what it originally was. And fingers crossed, and knock on wood, that, uh, you know, the audio does not get fudged up this time around. Uh, Because I wanted to talk about a sort of, you know, this was supposed to come out the day prior to Christmas, or Christmas Eve, I believe, this year. But, you know, it's still the holiday season, so I believe we could still potentially talk about things, and uh, hopefully this topic isn't too outdated as of right now. Uh, Because today we have something a bit new, a bit festive in its origin, and in the past we never really covered, you know, holiday-themed topics too much. This was mainly just due to them all kind of just being Santa or Krampus and maybe like the Yule entities out there. But it's not something that was really too touched upon. And I think a lot of podcasts, for the most part, do cover it. So I kind of wanted to find something a bit different. Uh, But something that still falls within the overall holiday season. So that's where we landed today with elves. More specifically, Christmas elves, but elves in general, as the mythology of the little creatures seems to be a bit varied and all over the place. Uh, So let's kick back with a hot cup of cocoa and unravel the mysteries and origins of Santa's little helpers. So the origins of elves, or more specifically Christmas elves, we're going to first talk about ancient Norse mythology. Uh, More specifically, we're going to be talking about the references to the Alfar, also known as the Holderfolk. I probably pronounced that wrong, but it translates roughly to the hidden folk. Uh, However, these specific creatures do not necessarily translate to what we now associate as elves, at least here in the U.S., and more specifically Christmas elves. Elves within Norse mythology are traditionally thought as, or I should say, before that, uh, the elves that we traditionally think of as Christmas elves are, you know, little people or humanoid creatures that are very jolly uh they're almost fairy like they have you know stockings they're oftentimes in very colorful garns but that's not the original conception of what the ulfar are over in norse mythology Uh, they are far less whimsical and in some ancient poems they're actually sort of placed at 
or around the same level of Norse gods. Uh, some associating it with a other word in that uh, culture known as the veneer, which is a sort of subset of gods associated with uh, fertility, I believe, in specific. Or, you know, they could just be their own godly race on their own. It's kind of debated in some regards, but it, they're very high up there in the sort of hierarchy of entities in that mythology, which I thought was neat. Uh, Iceland was also a sort of place we want to talk about. Uh, it was settled in the 1800s by Scandinavians and the Celts, who were brought over from Ireland as slaves by the Scandinavians. But both the Scandinavians and the Celtic cultures had myths of fairies, elves, and sort of nature spirits. And that began to sort of meld with the concept of what the Alfar were with the Norse. And uh, this sort of culmination of three cultures, along with the addition of the Icelandic landscape, kind of was the perfect breeding ground for these stories to continue. Because uh, you see, at this time, Iceland, and it still is, it has this very, like, mythical eeriness to it. Like, it's very na uh, natural with its volcanoes and, you know, coastlines and sceneries. And at nighttime, it gets so dark sometimes in the winter that the northern lights are the only things that are illuminating stuff. Uh, so it has this very mystical sensation to it. And if you're an explorer finding this place for the first time, it's not unreasonable to believe that stories that you have from your homeland are kind of being melded into this region that kind of has those properties of the mythical creatures that you associate with. So, around this time, Scandinavians and Celts were not the only European cultures that have this sort of unseen or supernatural species uh, that are symbols of the wilds that are sort of surrounding them. The Germans actually had their own beliefs in dwarves and little spirits known as the kobolds. And while over in Scotland, there were house spirits known as brownies, which are sort of similar to whatever Dobby was from Harry Potter, if you can kind of think of that. During medieval Europeans, uh, I should say medieval Europeans, saw elves as dark and dangerous, and they linked them oftentimes with demons. Now, in the old English Beowulf, which dates around 700 to 1000 AD, Elves were actually mentioned as being a sort of race that's a descendant of Cain, so they, they kind of got this weird Bible association with them uh, and demons around this time. And this is very much just like, you know, they're lumped into being a culprit of what happened to Christianity kind of spreading across Europe at that time. Elvish folklore was kind of all over the place. And that, again, is also the blame for Christians because they kind of, it has a habit of moving into regions and kind of incorporating aspects that they like and then demonizing aspects that they don't. So elves kind of got the latter end of that stick. Uh, so as the religion crept across the continent, they lumped in, like I said, aspects that they enjoyed. Uh, hence why elves are both seen as good and bad, depending on when and where you're reading about them. Uh, they could either be helpful and, you know, deliver babies during rough pregnancies uh, or they could be, you know, like changelings and steal the babies and replace them with a deformed uh, offspring. 
Uh, elves also were known uh, as Alp in German, uh, were known to give nightmares even, and they're actually linked to the phenomena that we commonly associate as sleep paralysis. So they're all over the place, and uh, it over time it continues to develop. Uh, we, if we skip a few hundred years down the timeline, we wind up in the days of William Shakespeare, where elves kind of lost a bit of that malevolent undertone to them that they got during the medieval times. Uh, now we're like, I think in the Dark Age. I don't know where we are, uh, what this time period is actually called. Uh, but in Shakespeare's A Midsummer's Night's Dream, uh, written back in 1590s, uh, this actually included an elf-like figure called Puck, who acted as a sort of gesture or trickster-type entity. Uh, so it kind of stripped away a lot of that like malice that elves had uh, several hundred years prior. It kind of gave it a bit of a more of a jovial light to them, uh, kind of harking back to their more fairy-like entities. Um, but it just continues to evolve. Uh, and that's sort of where we're moving into the myth of Christmas and the association of elves with Christmas. Very much like how we got the modern, you know, Thanksgiving menu uh, back in the 1800s, the U.S. Christmas tradition of elves also dates back to that time period. Elves began being linked to Santa Claus in 1823, from the poem called A Visit from St. Nicholas, which more commonly is known today as The Night Before Christmas. In the poem, Santa Claus is referred to as a, quote, jolly old elf. And that is, you know, the first established link of Christmas, Santa, and elves that we have, roughly. Uh, and it just keeps going from there. And it's really just like the first kicking off point that just snowballed into this, you know, lifelong tradition that we know today. Uh, so with that elf Christmas link established, other writers began to get creative with the idea. And a few years later, in 1857, Harper's Weekly published a poem called A Wonders of Santa Claus. Uh, and I'm going to read a snippet from here in which it tells how Santa, quote, keeps a great many elves at work, all working with all their might, to make a million pretty things, cakes, sugar plums, and toys, to fill the stockings hung by, you know, by the little girls and boys. And the idea caught on. It just continues to grow, and more people sort of associated into the zeitgeist. In 1922, famed artist Norman Rockwell released a painting of uh, an exhausted Santa surrounded by tiny sort of industrious elves going to work and trying to get a dollhouse constructed for Christmas. And 10 years later, in 1932, a short movie by Disney called Santa's Workshop showed a bearded, blue-clad elves that were singing, prepping Santa's sled, brushing the reindeer's teeth, and helping Santa with the naughty and nice list. So it's now in pop culture, there's books, there's entertainment, like shows and movies coming out now. And elves have very much just established themselves in the, uh, you know, the 20th century as being associated with Christmas very heavily. Uh, the modern age, or modern era, I should say, also brought along some more untraditional elves. Uh, you know, we have a very set pattern as we started things. Uh, but here we get a few instances in which they're not. 
the very first form that we can kind of associate with this is Hermie, the misfit elf in the 1964 uh, classic TV special, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. He wanted to be a dentist, which, you know, rather than working for Santa for his whole life. And let me just say, that movie is terrifying in a lot of ways, and I never enjoyed it too much. Not because of the plot or because it was kind of creepy. I didn't like Hermie. Hermie was just not a good plot point. I, I thought he sounded weird. I thought he looked weird. Like, everyone else kind of looked, like, okay, jovial, and, like, kind of cute in a way, but Hermie just looked odd. He just looked like some dude, like, who was short and, like, give it a giant head. And, like, it was just odd. I didn't like the character. And, this is, again, this is me as a kid. I haven't seen it in years. Uh, but in 2003, there's also the well-known comedy movie, Elf, which starred Will Ferrell as a human who was raised by Santa and his elves, and yada yada, traveled back to New York, did his own thing, uh, which just further cemented a kind of non-traditional aspect or association with elves. They can kind of be whatever. Uh, but actually taking a quick step back, I wanted to talk about something with the more mythological aspects of elves. And this is still in the modern era, but it has that association. Uh, so we're going back to Iceland, in which uh, Icelanders, uh, or Icelander, I don't know how to pronounce it, whatever, uh, believe that around, or I should say, their association and belief system around elves today uh, is what we kind of want to talk about. Back in 2007, there was a survey conducted, and the end results are kind of shocking. Uh, a whopping 37% of Icelanders said that it is, quote, possible that the Alfar still roam the countryside of Iceland. Another 17% say that it is, quote, probable that they are still roaming the country. And 8% of the population that was surveyed say that there is, without a doubt, that elves are still off in the wilderness somewhere. That is 62% of the overall population that got surveyed that believe to some level that these creatures are still roaming the countryside. And I think that that is just fascinating. I know that there are stories of like highways and roads. Don't know if that is in Iceland or if it's somewhere else in Europe uh, in which they will be detoured because it's like fairy country. That you're not supposed to cut through that specific area because you would be disturbing the fey folk. And it's just fascinating to believe that... You know, you're not often associating this like firm level of belief with like a European country. I think there's this weird stigma that people have that like, oh, it's Europeans. They pushed past this belief. They're not like whatever. It, it's dumb. It's probably racist to some degree, but it's there. And uh, I always found this interesting. I know it's kind of similar, I guess, in like a lot of like Romanian territories that kind of have similar beliefs. Uh, I know we talked about the, um, uh, what's it called, the Bal Bal as along with the uh, Aswangs in uh, the Filipinos cultures. And they, they are very heavily believing in that as well. Uh, so it's definitely something that you see across the globe, uh, not as often and not with every specific belief, but it's there. Um, and I just found this interesting and thought I wanted to uh, sort of add it into the story before we lap, uh, wrap up with our last little note that I have uh, right here. And we're going to be talking and wrapping up this episode with uh, a more recent tradition, an association to elves. 
uh, being the Elf on a Shelf. And uh, again, it's the latest Elf innovation, uh, giving the Elf a duty that they had never really had before. Uh, not making toys, but sort of being Santa's informant. In some ways, the Elf on the Shelf is arguably creepy and gives a weird aspect to Christmas, uh, but people like it. Um, alternatively, again, it's been panned as being creepy or adorable. Uh, it has still become a very fun holiday tradition for a lot of people. But the trademarked Elf on a Shelf dates back to 2005 when author Carol Alversold, a self-published sort of tale of this little elf. And essentially the plot was, you know, Santa sent this elf out to report on children as you know, their last-minute behavior leading up to Christmas. The release of this short story also had the toy elf, which it became infamous as being the elf on the shelf, and thousands of copies were sold all over the United States. Uh, and it's just blown up. It's become a thing that has become a tradition here in the United States and has, I believe, spread elsewhere. I could be wrong. But I just wanted to add that in as a last little talking point for elves. I'm not going to ramble too much because, again, I already recorded this episode <laughs> But elves have kind of always been in the pop culture zeitgeist. Uh, it, it's always been associated with mythology. And now we have stuff like Elf the movie, Elf on the Shelf, uh, elves in, you know, medieval senses, such as like Lord of the Rings, you know, the Elder Scrolls games, all that stuff. They're still out there. There's still lots of variants to them. Uh, and again, we're talking on a very, very condensed brushed up version of what elves are we didn't even talk about all of them uh but i kind of wanted to just talk about the holiday aspect of it a bit more and i thought it would be kind of neat to sort of break down uh i hope you guys did enjoy i'm going to be re-recording all those patreon stuff for you guys in just a bit so i hope you enjoyed and i hope to see you guys next week with stuff um because again i'm not going to ramble but before I depart, uh, if you wish to help support the podcast in any such way, you can do so by heading over to Patreon. That's patreon.com forward slash realm of unknown, where we have tons of bonus episodes, behind the scenes content, and some stuff from investigations that I've gone on at local haunted locations. Um, there's a one, three, and five dollar tier list, and pretty much all of the bonus stuff you'll get at one dollar, and it just increases as you go up. Uh, also, if you can't support financially, I totally get it. But if you still want to help out, uh, leaving a review would really mean a lot. Um, you know, I know Apple Podcasts is pretty much the primary thing, uh, but Spotify is adding in reviews as of recent. So if you guys are curious and you want to help out and give the podcast a bit of a boost here and there, uh, feel free to leave a review or a few. It's up to you, you know. <laughs> Uh, but in the meantime, I hope you guys had a great time. Check us out on Twitter, Instagram, wherever. It's Realm of Unknown. You can Google it. I'll pop up in pretty much all platforms. But until next week, guys, I hope you have a great time. Have a great rest of the holidays uh, whenever this gets released um, and whatever you celebrate. Uh, but until then, have an amazing time, and I hope you guys remember to stay spooky. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. 
What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now.